1: You're listening to Work Thrive, a podcast for entrepreneurial women redefining the meaning of work. And I'm your host, Katie Glenn. In each episode, you will hear candid conversations with female founders, movement makers, and thought leaders to help you navigate success on your own terms. So let's get started. Hey, hey, hey. we are back with another episode. And today in the guest chair, we have Jamelia Donaldson, founder and CEO of Treasure Tress, Europe's first and largest natural hair product discovery box. Having now celebrated five years of Treasure Tress, Jamelia and I talk all about the journey from doing hair at uni to finding her nine-to-five job as a business analyst to then leaving it to build Treasure Tress into what it is full-time. We talk about the politics of Black women's hair, being a Black woman in an industry that often overlooks and excludes us from the very conversations that play such a huge role in our lives. We talk about what it takes to build a team, and also the importance of being your own advocate. Jamila and I talk all about it. So let's get to it. The unprecedented nature of this has meant that... Mm -hmm. You know, I've spoken to so many different founders, and it's just like sometimes we don't think, you know, things like this will ever happen. We never imagine stuff like this to ever happen, and then you Mm -hmm. kind of you're thrown into the deep end of okay, this is happening, and what does that even mean for my business? And Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what it what it must feel like to have a product based business in this kind of climate. You know, especially under the circumstance that we're in, it's just such a different ballgame.
2: Ooh, it truly truly is if I'm being honest it was the first time that I was like sugar maybe product base isn't where it is at because mm. the manufacturing plants where they manufacture products, those were closed for a while and if they were open they were only able to produce hand sanitizer what else even down to shipping like one month our products were stuck in America and there was nothing we could do about it so, yeah, I've definitely learned the cons of a product-based business in ways that I don't think I have in the past.
1: Has there been anything now that has made you think about your business model or has there been anything out of this that's maybe, like, okay, there may be an opportunity or this might be a challenge or anything that's caused you to maybe think about an opportunity to innovate or maybe to change the way that you operate in one way or another?
2: Well, I'd definitely be lying if I wasn't like, there was a time when everyone was doing everything virtually, and I was like, "Oh my god, how can I change Treasure Trust to a purely virtual business?" And then I realised I don't. Have we don't want to you do to. <laughs> <laughs> we, your customers don't want you to. <laughs> but I was like, "There's no way that like we we just can't do that." But what we can do is change elements and make them virtual. So yes, Treasure Trust is a box, but then it's also so many other services. So like for events, for example last year events was one of our biggest revenue streams and this year we've not been able to have any so even down to the pop-up shop i don't know if you've ever been to them or if you've heard about them but that is like a big deal for us so at the moment we're in the process of planning what that looks like virtually so that we don't lose the excitement and the essence of it but also it's important that we celebrate this next step because I feel like everyone says your fifth year of business, like if you can make, if you can make it past five years of business, then you have a, a stable business. And this year I can say that I've learned why people say that because yeah. there's some curveballs that I have never seen before, COVID-1, that they just came out of nowhere. And I was like, rah, this is what people are talking about when they say if you can get past five years of business, then you can get past anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We hear it all the time. Just like if, well, if you get past year one, you're doing good if you can mm-hmm. get past year 2 okay we're doing something there. and if you can get past mm-hmm. year 5 okay you are you know likely to be in for the long haul because within 5 years like there is so much change there's usually some form of economic change or the rise of an economic change because that happens every 8 to 12 years so within year 5 you notice that something's coming or something's about to happen and the mere fact that you've been able to get to this point it's such a not only is it a big deal but it's it's proof of the fact that we need we need more businesses we need as black women we need more businesses that actually prioritize who we are and what we embody as black women because I know for a fact there are so many of my friends we all were just like so how are we gonna who's gonna do our hair what's gonna happen like what are we gonna do
0: because
1: you know it's so easy for our white counterparts to just you know go to the supermarket get their hair wash their hair done for us, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, where do we get the treatment? How do we do this? Who's mm-hmm. going to do the blowout? What's going to happen? Because it's just such a different dynamic for us. And so it's times like this where I'm reminded like, we actually do need the spaces that prioritize us and the and our experiences and what it means to be black. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Great. so going back to the very beginning then, Talk to me about Treasure Dress. Where did the idea come from and what made you decide to go, you know what, I'm going to give this a go?
2: I feel like every time I answer this question, I answer it differently. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to try and bring all my answers together. First thing being, since the age of four, natural hair, well, hair has been my thing, like it's just always been something that I just intrinsically knew how to do or like I just was really good at it from a really young age so mm-hmm. from about four I used to when I went to school reception I used to get in trouble for like doing someone's hair in class when I should have been paying attention by the time I got to secondary school I was being paid to do people's hair in my lunch breaks in the evenings I was earning like 15 pounds to do like someone's whole head of hair so I low-key had a business quite early on but I didn't even realize so that's like where my passion for natural hair came from, like my hair came from. Then my passion for natural hair came when it was like when blogs were on the rise. And I remember just thinking one day, like my hair would grow, but it would only grow to this length when it was straightened. And I just remember being so frustrated, like why isn't my hair growing? Like, is it just that black hair can't grow? So I remember Googling why doesn't black hair grow? And then that's what opened me up into all of these different forums of people like talking about homemade recipes. And then these forums, like, um, black girl long hair where it's just black women exchanging hair care tips and then not long after that i decided to okay, take cool, i'm going to stop using no i'm going to experiment with my hair and i'm going to stop straightening it as frequently as i did and see what happens then youtube got widely wildly popular when i was in sixth form going into uni then when i got to uni i discovered the natural hair community on youtube and i was like this is amazing Um, So all of the products that they were using in the videos, I was ordering from Amazon. But because I live in the UK and the products were coming from the US, I was paying like £80 a month for products.
1: Ooh, that import tax.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm a student, like I can barely eat, let alone pay for hair products. But I was prioritising hair products over food. And then I was like, okay, cool. Then something told me, between me and my friend, we were like, listen, everyone else is doing their placement years in consultancy firms in London we want to do our, internship, our placement year abroad and we wanted to go to New York specifically. We had no idea what we wanted to do when we got there, but we were like, listen, we're going to spend this year having the best year of our lives. We're going to go to New York. We're going to get whatever experience we can. Then we're going to come back to London. So while we are in New York, we have done some random internships. Like I'd done entertainment PR and fashion PR. she done theatre production. But during that time, that's when subscription boxes were on the rise in the US. So mm-hmm. it's when... Dollar Shave Club was um, on the rise. Birchbox had been founded. Yeah. Coal Box had popped up. Coal Kit had popped up. And then when I looked back at the UK, I was like, not only do we not have access to good products on a regular day, but we definitely don't even have subscription boxes. Yeah. So I looked back and I was like, okay, if it still hasn't popped by the time I get back to London, then it's something that I should think about. And then when I went back to London, my internships in New York were 100% unpaid. So I was broke. And I was like, right, when I get to London, I need to earn some money. So then an opportunity came up to work at an asset management firm for in their business operations department. And mm-hmm. I was like, I know nothing about business operations, but I'm sure that if I study hard enough, I can get through the interview. Yeah. So I studied for the interview like it was an exam. I went there and I knew I had done really well. They called me back for another interview. I went there. I'd done really well in the internship. They offered me a position on their graduate scheme as a result of that. So by the time I went into my final year of uni, I already knew what I was doing. But most importantly, I had earned money again. Yeah. So during that time, my focus had now shifted because I'm thinking, yeah, I'm working in the city, I'm earning good money. I think I can do this. And then it wasn't until I would say year three that I was like, nah, like I'm earning good money, but there's still this idea that no one else has launched. And if I don't launch it, someone else is going to do it. Yeah. So I remember launching Treasure Chest like in the evenings, and then running the Instagram page off the side of my desk, and then launching while I was still working. And I remember going to the toilet, locking myself in a cubicle, pulling out my laptop, and answering customer <laughs> <the> service emails. <laughs> and then on uh, certain the life days, on like, hustler, <laughs> honestly. And then on certain days, I would rent out a meeting room so that I could call brands and pitch to them, like literally cold calling brands.
1: Mm. So that went
2: on for as long as it could possibly go on for. Then by the end of year three, I had like lost a dramatic amount of weight. I looked really run down and like physically, I couldn't continue to get to the office for seven, leave for seven, come home, work on treasure Trust till one and then keep doing that and then spend all my weekends packing boxes or writing pitch decks. It was just too much. Mm. So I remember having a conversation with myself like, listen, you're 23, you don't have any kids. You have no major commitments. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to go all in on finance or do you want to go all in on entrepreneurship because you can't do both? Yeah. And I was like, do you know what? I've got good, solid foundations in finance. I've got really good relationships. If I need to come back, they will take me back. Yeah. So let me go the other way and let me see what happens. So yeah, once I made that decision, it wasn't as squeaky clean as I just made it out to be, to be honest. <laughs> I, made <that laughs> I, can <laughs> <laughs> I made that decision within myself. And then I remember I shared it with my family because so I was like, "Yeah, guys, I've decided I'm going to quit Black Rock and I'm going to go all in." And my mum was like, "No, Jamelia, I think you should. I think you should think about this because she's a teacher. She's always been a teacher." And she was like, "Do you understand that as a teacher how many years I had to work to earn what you're earning?" And I was like, mm. And that made me feel really guilty. Yeah. So then I sat on. I sat on it for at least nine months, and then it just got to the point where I was like, Do "You know what?" I don't care. I've got to do it for myself. So I handed in my notice. I didn't tell anyone, into, no, I didn't tell my family until the day before um, or the week before. And literally, last minute, they knew. And by the time I told them, it was too late for me to go back on anything that I had said. So I'd already worked my notice period. And then I told them, and my mum was like, okay, because <laughs> there was nothing she could say. and But my dad was like, do you know what, do whatever makes you happy, it doesn't matter. So from there, I would say that's when things got really hard because I remember the first day that I had my time fully to myself. I remember sitting in my room, looking at the calendar of the month, saying, okay, the box needs to go out here. I need to do this by this date, but what the hell do I do in between? Like, how do I organize my days now that I have all the time that I wanted before, but now I'm just not sure how to use it. So I would say that that took me on a whole nother personal journey. But yeah, that was a really long answer to how it got started.
1: (laughs) no but like (laughs) I think I I think I'm just I'm still back at the you know getting to the office for seven working cold pitching brands, and all the way that you had to you had to manage that and then having to come to the decision like you know what this is actually not sustainable and I think a lot of the times we you know we kind of bring the especially as women we kind of feel like we can do everything you know we can do it all i will be able to manage it and then you realize you know what actually this isn't good for my mental health this isn't good for my physical health i'm probably not going to be able to scale it as much as i want to scale it because i cannot give it and i cannot make it a priority how did you deal with the the thing because we all know that thing where it's like okay i don't have a steady stream of income right now. How did you deal with the the potential fear or the potential scare of if I don't work, I'm not
2: getting paid? There's a few very practical steps I took. So I would say about a year in, as I said it took me like nine months to actually hand in my notice. So ahead of then I was saving fifty percent of my paycheck. Like no new clothes, no going out unless I absolutely have to, no holidays, like straight grinds like stack as much money as I can yeah. so that I have something to fall back on. I did not expect the money to go down as quickly as it did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember saying, Jamia, no, we've got to save money. And I'm, I'm quite disciplined when it comes to saving money anyway. So I was like, well, I've just got to do what I've got to do. And then also I just remember thinking to myself, Jamelia, calm down. Like you've got good qualifications. You've done well at uni. You've got a good career start. You could go into a lot of different workplaces and they were quite, they'll quite gladly hire you. Obviously, mm. it's different now because COVID, but at the time, <laughs> the economy was thriving. It was fine. So I just remember saying, no, Jimmy, if you need to go and get a job, you can. And what's the scenario? McDonald's are always hiring. It's not mm. the end of the world. Like You can make money. Yeah. So between like, the practical side of stacking and the other side of just being very logical about it, like it's not like you don't have anything to fall back on you do. Yeah, I'd say between those two things, that's pretty much how I navigated it and managed it
1: yeah and in that time then because you know you've you've been in business for about five years now in that time what would you say has been the fundamental learning what's the one thing that you've learned (laughs) and I know that there are Um, so many but like the, the hardest lesson that you've had to learn as an entrepreneur I
2: would say that your personal growth dictates the growth of the company so much more than I thought it would have like, mm-hmm. I think it's easy to think that, okay, the person comes up with the idea and then the idea just grows. The idea doesn't just grow. As a founder, you have to grow and you have to grow. Mm-hmm. Like It's like as you grow, the business also grows. Or well, as yeah. the business progresses, it causes you to become an even better version of yourself. But it also exposes a lot of flaws and a lot of insecurities. So I would say that I was most surprised by the personal journey that entrepreneurship has taken me on rather than anything else. And I think for that reason alone is why I don't regret not one thing about
1: it. Yeah, I think I heard somebody say that entrepreneurship is probably I think they said after marriage is like the height of like personal development. Like it's more about personal development than it is about anything else. And I think that's kind of agree. A lot of the things that people I say, especially our generation, like they don't realize what comes with Like I've watched my dad. My dad has owned his, his own business my entire life. So I've like, seen it firsthand. And at first I was like, I want nothing to do with that. Like, I'm going to get a stable <laughs> job. I'm going to work corporate. I want nothing to do with it. Like, I don't want to have the headache that he's had. But mm-hmm. there was like this pull that's like, okay, Katie, like you want much more than what's over here. And I was absolutely, and I've always been, you know, I'm going to be corporate, I'm going to do this. But when you have that thing that's on the inside, that's like, literally will not leave you alive. You kind of have to go, I'm either going to surrender or I'm going to ignore it and just go about my life. And yeah. in setting up work, thrive and expanding to another area of the business, for me, it has been the most personal development that I've ever worked on in my entire life, because it demands a level of Self awareness it demands a level of maturity, like emotional maturity and discipline. Like, I thought I was disciplined mm-hmm. <laughs> until I decided, Oh, hey, I, you know, I want to start a business. And the level of discipline that comes with that, I don't think a lot of people can appreciate that at all. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. So, 100%. Yeah, it is such a journey. And one of the things that I appreciate about our Treasure dress is that it's no secret that brands historically, and probably in many ways still do, fail to acknowledge the connection between black women and our hair. Like a lot of people just don't get it. They don't understand like why you change your hair all the time. Why does your hair mean so much to you? It's such a a uncharted territory for a lot of people. How have you navigated those conversations? Because I can imagine that's a very difficult conversation to have. How have you navigated that and, and highlighted what our hair actually means to us as a community? I feel like I'm asking all the hard questions.
2: <laughs> yeah, well no, this is good. This is good. I don't want the easy <laughs> questions. Oh, it takes some serious convincing. It gets very frustrating at times because I know, like, as a Black woman, we just know, like, the minute someone hears about Treasure Trust, they're like, oh my God, of course. Like, of course yes. we need something like this. Whereas to others, it's like, hmm really is this really going to work do black women really buy do they really spend money so if i'm going to be honest it's been painfully difficult up until black lives matter 2020 that was the first time that we finally got responses back to so many brands that we've been reaching out to and it's so funny because i always say black women expectations are always up here Mm. and I love it because it makes us be the best that we possibly can but as consumers black women are very demanding as we should be and so a lot of the time they're like what about this brand I really want this brand in the box and what they don't know is that a lot of the time we're reaching out to these brands and we can't even get a response (laughs) we can't get a response they don't want to commit to marketing to black women and when you compare the marketing spend that they allocate to black women versus mainstream you can't compare the two. So. It's gotten a lot easier with Black Lives Matter and with the pull up for change movement and the fact that now race is a very, very open, well, I'm going to say open conversation. It's a very public conversation now. Mm -hmm. Representation is a very public um, conversation, which has definitely helped us get responses to emails, get in the door, be in the rooms, be on the calls that really matter. But ahead of them, like for a good while, it felt like every day we were coming to war. It oftentimes feels like we're literally, we've got the weight of black women sure on us because we know, we know, like we get the emails, we get the customer service emails, we get, we know what the expectation is, we know the experience that we want to provide. But then at the same time, we're talking to these large corporations who are like, mm, no, sorry, we're going to use our marketing spend for X or mm, no, sorry, XYZ. So it's felt like an uphill battle a lot of the time. But I think the only reason why we've been able to keep going is because the reward is unmatched. Like the relationships that Black women have been able to form at Treasure Trust events can't be compared. The teen experience, what, what's that, what that has done for young Black girls can never be questioned. The feedback and the energy when the boxes do go out and people are unboxing them, like that's literally the highlight of our month. So the upside is a lot bigger than the down but the downside and the reality is that it takes a hell of a lot conv- of convincing from our side to get brands to even consider spending money on products for black women.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, it, it, for me, I, 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 I get it because obviously I'm black woman. I absolutely, I see all the time, like there are so many places and spaces that we're not represented or we're underrepresented or we're underfunded in so many areas. But, as Black women, we spend more money on hair care products than any other race. So you would think that common sense would say, you know, maybe allocate a bit more here. But when you're in a, in an industry that doesn't prioritize the Black experience and doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't prioritize the Black woman's experience, of course it's, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have the budget for that. We don't have, you know, we don't have the market spend for that. How have you actually navigated the, the potential, the anger, the frustration and the disappointment that comes with that? Because that is so difficult to want to rally, you know, black women and feeling like you are carrying black women on your shoulder and at the same time have to go to war every day, knowing that, you know, this brand probably will say no. How have you dealt with that personal fight and that personal potential feeling like, you know what, maybe i am failing in this area because all these you know all these customers need this this brand isn't doing this and i feel like i'm not able to bridge that gap how have you dealt with that disappointment
2: i think i channel it in a very weird way (laughs) i just try i just channel it as like like it's just it just fires me up it gives me energy it makes me feel like okay cool clearly we're not positioning it right like clearly our pitch isn't as tight as we think it is let's do better like yeah. it's our job to convince them. So if they're not saying yes, then it's our responsibility. Like we can't sit around and get angry at them. We've just got to get better. So yeah. I always just see it as, okay, cool. We just need to improve. And then when we finally get I'm like, look at what we produce, like what, look at what we actually done versus what we came in at. So yeah, it just, it actually, it motivates me strangely because it just makes me think, okay, cool. So you don't think that black women are a strong enough business case to present to your marketing department to participate in this activation, cool. Well then we need to do a better job of framing it. We need to package it a lot better. Maybe our reports need to be a bit more thorough. We just Mm -hmm. need to be better. So, and it's mad because we'll give each other pet talks. Like sometimes I can see like our brand directors getting discouraged and she's like, but jam, like they're not blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's fine Shiv, like it's fine. You know, the game is the game. You know, we've been in this game for a while. We know how this goes. We've just got to get better let's try do it this way, let's let's angle it this way and let's approach this person. And then even times I'll be like, oh, this is this is long, like I'm tired, I, I, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, no, John, we've done this before, let's do it again, blah, blah, blah. So it definitely goes without saying that the strength of the business is the fact that we are black women. And there's just unspoken rules that like we That's... just know, like, <laughs> we're just able to pick each other up when we need it. And if someone's Someone's feeling tired because we are going to battle every day. So, yeah. Right, sis, you rest, do that. I'm going to do this. Cool, don't worry about it. I'm going to speak to this person. It's literally like a relay between us all. Like, yes, yeah, someone's doing 100 metres, and then we pass on to the next person, they run with it. Mm. And that's literally how I see the team. Like, as Black women on, in every area of the business, we're literally playing re- relay. Like, okay, I'm going to take care of this, yeah. then I'm going to hand it over to you, you take care of this. So I think the fact that it's a team sport, allows me to not get burnt out because when it when it was me just by myself oh my god that was tormenting like it was Mm. horrible because i couldn't i couldn't share the load i couldn't no one could really understand whereas Mm. now everyone everyone in the office can understand because we hear conversations we see each other we talk so everyone can be like okay what's going on cool how can i help how can i support so a very long answer to the fact that it's just a team sport and that's that's how we're able to do
1: it yeah you know they say like it takes a village to raise a child I 100% believe it takes a village to like raise an entrepreneur because it's, mad, it's mad <laughs> here. like honestly it's mad out here it really and is in that sense then how important or how important has community been for you not just outside not just as an entrepreneur but as a black woman in business you know leading a team how important has that community been in maintaining that momentum
2: oh cool. honestly, honestly it's everything like from i'm actually in the background <laughs> um i just got sent a video which is a compilation of like treasure trust throughout the years and the first one is a mini meet afternoon tea party that we've done where it was like mums and daughters black women, black young girls, afternoon tea in central London. And that Mm. was the first event that I ever done for Treasure Trust. And for me, it was just like, why wouldn't we do that? Like, why wouldn't we do something for mums and daughters that they wouldn't usually do? I had my niece, she was like three at the time. I was like, yeah, I want her to see black girls that look like her. I want her to see girls that look like her and I want her to make new friends. So for me, there's no, Without, without community, there's no Treasure Trust. Like the business doesn't, the business model doesn't work without community. We're not showing up for work without community. Like, the community and everything. The community on Instagram, the community who show up to our events, the women who are in our inbox via email, even the silent audience who consume our content and don't say anything. Like, they are all part of our community. And I think because we all know that we have a duty duty and we've got people to answer to, that we're able to do what we do.
1: Yeah, and I think fundamentally, I think community, is so important in business, and it's so important as an entrepreneur, not just for ourselves, but that you build a business that's based on community. Because the reality is, those the people you're actually serving, and I do think a lot of the times we forget that the heart of entrepreneurship, the heart of any business, or the pursuit of purpose is that we are an act of ser- it's an act of service to our community.
2: And I, I mean, feel like once you're running a business, it's even beyond the community. You're also it's also an act of service to the, team. To the <laughs> team. Honestly, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the things that I love about Treasure Tress is the diversity. I, like I go on your Instagram pages, I see the different products. It's not just for you know, there was a point I know for me where the natural hair movement were mostly girls who just looked like me, who had three C hair and three C curls. And for me, mm-hmm. as somebody who was the benefit was benefit of it, because I understood then, you know, mm-hmm. someone who looked like me was the face of it. It made no sense to me because I had other friends who did not have three C hair, you know, who had four C hair and four B hair and they and I could get products and they couldn't get products. And what I love about Mm -hmm. Treasure Fest is that you have this diverse model. Every black woman deserves to be seen. Every Mm -hmm. black hair type deserves to be, you know, deserves to be celebrated because the reality is that's what makes it so magical that we are as one community, but we are so different in so many different ways. And that's the magic in it. How important is that diversity to you as a founder? I guess how how have you navigated those conversations? Because I know for a fact that some brands and some people just, it's a one size fits all model that they see. How have you navigated that?
2: I think we've always been very honest from the get go. And I feel like I'm very grateful that as a black woman, my view of like, I'm not blind to the privileges that exist, especially Mm. even being a black woman myself. So, i'm not blind to privileges within the black community and i think because of that i've always just tried to do the complete opposite like from the get-go the very first treasure chest shoot i said precisely give me dark skinned girls i'm not even give me let me choose my friends because i didn't have money for models <laughs> let me yeah. choose my friends dark skin natural hair kinky hair cool okay oh we've got too many light skin girls let's move it out I want to go heavier with the dancing girls for a reason because i didn't ever want treasure trust to be just another natural hair brand because there is a formula that works and i think that's where morals comes into business a lot because i could have yeah. just done what works and had a cast full of mixed race skills with loose curls and it would have sold but instead i said no nah, let's do something let's do something completely different it might take longer but i would rather it take longer and sit well with me and be have a very moral moral morally guided and morally firm foundation than just running with the trends so for us even like i genuinely don't care who like i try to spare feelings as much as possible but the team's made up of black and mixed race girls and leah who's our um who manages our social media she's always the first to be like no sorry we've got too many lights girls let's take them out we need more dancing girls no sorry Nope, the feed's looking too beige. Let's change it up. We've got to change it. Yeah. It's like it's always at the forefront of our minds because we're like, okay, we know what privileges exist in the black community, and we're not here to serve those privileges. We're here to go against yeah. them and completely transform the standard of beauty. And better yet, make sure that, as you said, every black woman is represented. And I think it helps that within the team, every type of black woman is represented. Like we all, we're all completely different. We all look completely different. But for me, that was. That was like one of the most obvious things that I just was never going to compromise on. Like, we're never going to be the brand that does light skin, loose curls. No, we can have light skin and loose curls, but we're also having dark skin and kinky hair. And if not, we're having more dark skin girls with kinky hair because that's what needs to be seen right now.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's what needs to be prioritised. That's what needs to be represented because at yeah. the end of the day dark skinned whether we want to admit it or not you know people have a perception of what that is and that it's not beautiful or it's not as beautiful and for me it has, all, it has always angered me because my brain is just like this doesn't make any sense whatsoever but then when you come to the realization the rest of the world thinks, <laughs> you know and how the mm-hmm. rest of the world sees dark skinned and kinky hair you kind of have to use your privilege you know whatever position that you're in you use your privilege and you speak up for whoever it is that needs to be spoken up for it's advocating for black women it's all, and, and when you say black women you mean every kind of black women all black yeah. women count and every yeah. black matter you know
2: yeah and i think it's also a responsibility i mean <laughs> i have some very serious conversations with brands and because there is a perception that once you include a mixed race girl in a campaign you've done your di- you've ticked the diversity box and I'm saying, no, even if you put one type of black girl in the company, you've not ticked the diversity box either. You can't like, say that's diverse. No, <laughs> you can't say this diverse. So I think, yeah, it's just being, I've become a lot more comfortable having uncomfortable situations as Treasure Trust has grown. And I think because it's grown, it also gives me more credibility to have those conversations mm-hmm. and they take me a lot more seriously when I do. But yeah, you would be surprised at the amount of conversations, the amount of work that we put in behind the scenes that no one gets to see that hopefully have a very, a much larger impact on the community and on the beauty industry as a whole. Because a lot of it is navigating really strange conversations, <laughs> giving advice a lot of the time, directing brands a lot of the time. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting space to be in. I really love it, but sometimes it can be very frustrating.
1: Yeah. And I can imagine the the emotional weight that that can take as well, because you have this perspective of everyone should be represented. And then you have brands who are only thinking in this box. And so you're trying to get people to step out of a box and actually see the world as it is versus how they think it should be. Of course, that will take, you know, a certain level of emotional and mental drive and tasking on, on anyone and on any founder, especially as a black woman, when, we have to, you know, work as hard, you know, for half as much. And, and yeah. as, <laughs> but, it, you know, we've heard that like a million times over, you know, yeah. I grew up hearing it. You've got to work twice as hard for half as much. And now I understand, now I, I understand yeah. what it truly means. You know, you're growing up, you don't really understand it. And then when you put mm-hmm. in a position where you actually have to, have certain conversations and you have to navigate rooms you do understand actually yeah we have to we, we don't we're not afforded the same opportunities and we have to work three times four times as hard
2: well i was in denial about that for a very long time because my mum used to say it but i always done really well in school so i was thinking what are you talking about like no I still got any, i'm like what do you mean like, like i'm doing great <laughs> now i'm in business i'm like right i can see exactly what you're speaking about Mm. like the things that we as treasure trust have been able to do with minuscule budgets oftentimes outweighs the things that brands are able to do with millions and millions of pounds (laughs) so i'm like this is exactly what this is exactly what we're talking about like i'm asking for sponsorship dollars and you're saying you don't have any but you're giving sponsorship money to other organizations that aren't having half the impact that we are I was like right I can see I can see what it means now
1: yeah I, I definitely agree that absolutely 100% and it's such a difficult space to be in I know for me I had this conversation with my best friend the other day because I'm now considering expanding work right into mm-hmm. a, an e-commerce uh, marketplace for small businesses for small businesses for with black women and so mm-hmm thinking of that and thinking okay i'm considering now a tech model i'm not a tech founder i'm not some white guy who dropped out of harvard you know and had somebody give him 500 grand at all and having to now think about okay what does that mean for me and what's the best place to go because i now sit and i will unfortunately sit in the other when it comes to venture capitalism you know and i've got to think about what that fundraising Will look like and so it really hits you just like okay I am different because this model that's been set up hasn't been created for the people that look like me but there is demand for what I need to create and it's like how do I navigate that and how do you navigate the imposter syndrome as well that comes with that because it's like am I really capable of doing this because if there isn't anyone in this space that looks like me Am I capable of actually doing it? Are we capable of doing it? And we know that the answer is yes, we are. We just haven't been afforded the same opportunities. So how have you navigated, if you've ever experienced, you know, imposter syndrome or feeling like this space, you know, the hair and beauty space, isn't necessarily for you. We know that it hasn't been curated for black women. So how have you navigated the the potential imposter syndrome that comes with that?
2: In my position in this market, I don't think I've ever questioned that because, like, one thing about me, I know here and I know how to do here. So, Mm -hmm. one thing that I think I've undervalued is the weight of my experience and just how valuable that is. Like, we talk about intellectual property a lot in the creative industries, and my lived experience as a black woman is a big time credential (laughs) because the things that I know, people are paying to learn or they're paying for insight into so i think if anything i've undervalued my experience as a black woman and Mm. how valuable that actually is imposter syndrome i feel like i've dealt with that through mentors mentors who always like jamelia you're really good (laughs) like you're really really good you're in the perfect space you're in the perfect market in the perfect continent there's no one in europe who's able to speak on this as thoroughly as you are and it's times like that where I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I've got good experience with this. That's, like, I've got the data to that's back it up. True. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, you're actually right. So I think imposter syndrome definitely comes, but I think mentors definitely helped me to just realise what, like, what is my selling point, what's my USP, and why have they invited me to be in the room above anyone else? Not to say that I'm better, but to say mm. that I occupy a very unique space, and in my lane, I own that space. So i think that they've helped me do that and i think that's the best way to navigate imposter syndrome is to think about what is it why have they asked me to be in this room rather than someone else like what is it that i possess that no one else possesses not to say that there aren't other great coders and other great designers but right now we're talking about black british women and we're talking about natural hair and we're talking about the european market and we're talking about product discovery and product insights Mm -hmm. i'm your girl so i think it's just knowing that okay cool knowing just knowing what your value is, knowing what your USP is and knowing what you bring to the table and standing firm in it and being prepared to call people out on things that they're doing wrong.
1: Yeah, 100%. Like that, I think as when it comes to imposter syndrome, it's a matter of identity and knowing where your identity is placed, but also mm-hmm. knowing what your value is. Because I think a lot of the times we, the the point of imposter syndrome is that we're misplacing our value. We're putting it somewhere else, or we're not putting it where it's supposed to be. And I think for me, yeah. what I've had to learn is knowing what I do know and knowing what I don't know. And if I don't know it, I sit back. I don't know. Please take front stage. But if I do know it mm-hmm. and I know the market and I know what needs to be done, it's owning that and owning our value and being confident mm-hmm. in that. And I think a lot of the times as women, we are too concerned about coming across nice and we're too concerned about coming across as arrogant. And You know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to know it all, but it's not necessarily that it's a know-it-all, it's the fact that I know what I'm talking about. And it's mm-hmm. owning that. And as, and as Black women, it's also that not wanting to come across as too aggressive or anything like that because of the stereotypes yeah.
2: that's attached to that.
1: And so it's working I think,
2: through that. I think as Black women as well, like, not to generalise, but, like, a very media white man will have one experience and write a book on it. Whereas as a black woman, you'll give yourself the pressure to get a degree in it, to get three years experience in it before you say that. (laughs) I was like, we need to, no, we just need to adopt that boldness in our mediocrity sometimes. (laughs) Like some people are mad mediocre, but mad bold with it. And they're getting paid. So, yeah, yeah, I think we just need to just take up more room is essentially what it is.
1: Yeah,
2: Take up more room and just be more confident.
1: And it's, it's being bold. It, like you said, it's being completely yeah. bold in that. I completely hear that. I wanted yeah. to get a degree in it. Like I considered like, oh, do I need to go back to uni and get a tech degree? Like what? The, do I need to get an MBA do <laughs> like to run Like if I don't get a PhD before then, before yeah. you do something, because I yeah. think as, as, as black women, you know, we kind of have, like you said earlier, our expectations are so high and our expectations mm-hmm. for ourselves are so high. Like we operate a level of excellence And we expect Mm -hmm. that excellence. And so for us, whenever we feel like we're not the quote-unquote definition of excellent, our immediate reaction is Mm -hmm. to pull ourselves back versus to say, actually, I do know this. I may not know all of it, but I do have Mm -hmm. an idea. And like you said, I need to be a little bit bold. If it's mediocre right now, let's just... Because at the end of the day, our level of mediocrity is excellence to a lot of people. And we have to be okay with... For me, especially, I've learned that I have very high standards for myself. For some people, they just probably look at me like, what, what? This is superhuman." Mm-hmm. But then my good yeah. days or my okay days for a lot of people were great days. Yeah. You know? And my okay idea, yeah. my okay idea for some people is a great idea. And so, yes, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be this perfect, excellent version of ourselves all the time.
2: Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And I think experience also teaches you that. Like it's not until I started to go into brand meetings with brand owners that weren't black or marketeers that weren't black. And I would say the most basic thing and they would be so impressed. And I think, oh, (laughs) that's like common knowledge, but okay, (laughs) did we not want (laughs) this? Yeah, so I think it's also like coming out of your comfort zone. Having Mm -hmm. conversations with people you wouldn't necessarily speak to on a day-to-day highlights the level of expertise that you have that you may just be taking for granted and may be overlooking. And I think that that's important for Black professionals, um, founders, entrepreneurs, everyone to take note of. Like sometimes just change up the scenery. Speak with others in your industry that aren't within your niche and you'll actually be surprised by how impressive the things you say actually are
1: yeah 100 percent. one of the things that i loved about what you've only said was the importance of mentors and how mentors have helped you build that confidence mm-hmm. and have affirmed you even on the especially on the yeah. days where you perhaps felt like you know you weren't you weren't you were misplacing your value and having those mentors yeah. around you have supported you one of the things that i appreciate is for me, you've always been a mentor in my head because I don't I don't always feel like oh. mentors have to be this one-on-one experience. Like, I do have one-on-one right. mentors, but I may I observe people. And I was part of your starting mm-hmm. circle and that you started in lockdown, and yeah. I learned so much. I think, you know, we don't have the conversation of mentorship as much as we probably should and the importance of mm-hmm. having somebody who can sponsor you and somebody who can advocate for yeah. you, somebody who's in your corner how do we even go about, you know, the process or the journey of finding those people and not even just finding them, attracting them? Because I take the stance that mentorship isn't and shouldn't be transactional. It shouldn't be, you need to do this for me or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. such a weighty relationship if somebody's mentoring me or I'm mentoring somebody, I'm invested in that person's character and their development Mm -hmm. and their future in whatever area that they need guidance in and the same if somebody's mentoring me so how did we go even about of uh, placing and positioning ourselves to be mentored
2: um i think there's a few different ways you can go about finding a mentor but i think something that's probably more valuable to speak about that i don't think is spoken about enough is being coachable so there's people who have mentors or could be seeking mentors but do you actually listen to what they're actually saying mm. and do you actually take it on board? Do you self-analyze? Do you, do you do the work within yourself to put into action what they're saying? And one of my, like a mentor relationship, which has completely changed my life was purely based on the fact that we had a con- two phone conversations and he was simply just impressed by how cultural, co-culturable I was, like how willing I was to be like, okay, what is it that I'm doing wrong? What can I do better? What do you think about this? This is what I said. Because as much as I'm saying, yes, we need to be bold and we need to and we need to own it. There's a time and a place. There's also a time to yeah. be a student. And you need to know how to be a good student and know that, yeah, while okay, you may be the best in this, this part of the world. Like there's still a wide, wide world. you are yeah. not the best there yet. So you've still got work to do. So I think it's allowing yourself to have those conversations, being open to the constructive criticism that comes with it. Because mentors are going to tell you how great you are, but they're also going to say, I think you could do this a bit better. And I think that those are the conversations that are much more valuable. Like, while I do need a pep tool every now and then to be like, mean, it's fine, you've got this, you can do this, you've done amazing things. I also need people that are going to be like, nah, you undervalued yourself there. If I was you, you should have negotiated that better. That was a terrible deal. Why did you sign that deal? Like, yeah. those are the kinds of conversations you need to have. So as I said, I think finding mentors is the easy bit, but I think before you even make that step, the first step is making sure that you're open to learning, that you're aware that you don't know it all, that you're aware of your weak points or that you're spending time getting to know yourself and like thoroughly examining yourself to be like, okay, these are my weak points. Maybe I'm overconfident here. Maybe I'm underconfident here and Mm. having conversations and just listening, listening and doing the action because nothing's more frustrating then taking time out of my calendar to speak to someone, to give them advice. And then the next time I speak to them, they've not made, they've not made a difference. Not made a oh, difference. I'm no, like, that's stressful. you <laughs> that? I've invested my time in you? Like the least you can do, I haven't charged you for my time. So the least, mm. the repayment that I expect is the fact that you go on and you do something great. Like don't take up my time, ask for my advice and not use it. That's yeah, the worst
1: yeah. thing. Yeah. Being coachable. And I, th- I think to be honest with you, as you know, if we want to be entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs or we want to have any sort of impact on our community we want to live this purposeful life being mm-hmm. coachable is perhaps one of the number one skills that we have to have because like we said earlier this journey of pursuing purpose is one that is about personal development and is one that you have to sit your ego back every now and then and say you know what this. yeah Take a, seat. Mm-hmm. Take, a breath. <laughs> <laughs> take a breath because they're saying it and we do undervalue and I think one of the things that I've, I've noticed especially you know my generation that everybody wants to be mentored everybody wants to be mentors and it's just like can you be mentored though? you know can, yeah. you know can you actually yeah. be mentored can you actually put yourself in a position where somebody can coach you because I think a lot mm-hmm. of the times people see mentorship as this you're going to get me where I want to go. Or you're Mm going to connect me to whoever person, you know, versus mentorship is about development. And in order to Mm do that, you kind of have to identify, look, there is probably an area here where I need a bit of help and being clear about what that help looks like, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. So here's the thing. Say that somebody wants to start a business now, right? You've been in this Mm -hmm. process. You've been in this journey for five years now. Say that there is somebody who wants to start a business. What would you suggest or what would be their first
2: three steps in moving the needle? Market research, of course. Is there someone else in the market working on it? Is there someone else in the market successfully doing it? If so, how is yours different? Is there someone in the market that's thinking or very early stage that you could perhaps collaborate with to do things faster? Because one thing that I say all the time is if I had a co-founder I feel like this would have been a lot easier <laughs> mm-hmm. not to say it's hard but I have heard people who have co-founders say I have no idea how people do this alone like doing yeah. it alone is really hard so I would say that if you can co-found with someone else do that don't recreate the wheel. like if there's something if there's a problem and it's being solved and your solution is no different to the existing solution then why is it really a problem <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
2: just don't get caught up in the the glitz and glam of founding and founder like like just just get caught up in the problem solving that's what your focus is can mm. is does the problem actually exist and does it exist for more people than just you and if so then how are you going to have an impact on that how are you going to change that and who can you work with to get it solved because even if you are able to start it by yourself you're not going to be able to run it by yourself that's not going to happen
1: yeah 100 percent that solving the problem thing like we said earlier it's a matter of service and i think like you said i think people get really caught up in the glitz and glamour i'm a founder i'm a ceo i'm a this i'm a that seeing my dad's experience maybe though nah so when the ideas have been coming to me i've been like uh, no no thank you, but it's it's that thing that pulls you, you know, and it's that thing that you think, okay, there is an actual need here, there is an actual prob- problem, and I'm passionate about solving this problem. It's ultimately about, you know, I, I always say it's about, for me, my life, and I've dedicated, and I will continue to dedicate my life to creating the things that I wish existed like that is fundamentally the most important thing because it's like if they exist already let me just go support them like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to recreate it let's just go support it you know and if it doesn't exist then okay if I feel like I am in a position to create it then I'm going to do what I can to create it Mm -hmm. I think people just get so caught up in the glitter and the glam of The entrepreneur lifestyle because you know, in 2020, that's trending. You know, being an entrepreneur is is like the new trend, especially when it comes to the service that we have with our community and the impact that we want to have. It has to be much more than you know, wanting to have a laptop lifestyle because Mm -hmm. it's not that's not always what happens. You know, (laughs) like the purpose Mm -hmm. behind it has to be much more than I want to look a certain way or I want to be known, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm I agree. I I think for me, it's navigating that disappointment in seeing people treat the entrepreneurship or, you know, this level of the responsibility that comes with ownership, you know, as this trendy thing, where it's just like, we have all these these problems and issues within within our community. Let's Mm -hmm. work on solving them. Let's put our egos aside. And let's solve yeah. them, you know, let's, let's actually be of service to our communities, because for me, that's what purpose is. Yeah, I 100% agree. So 100%. now I'm just going to go into the fast five round and then ask you five oh. questions. <laughs> no questions. <panic. laughs> so tell me about a software resource or app that's helped you with your business or work that you recommend. Receipt Bank. Tell me about a personal habit that has helped you in life and work.
2: Waking up early.
1: Tell me about a book, podcast, or event that has helped you significantly in the past year.
2: Profit first.
1: Mm. One lesson you have learned in the last year that's helped with your professional personal development. Believe in your source. (laughs) Oh, a word of advice that you would share with women
2: redefining their own meaning of work. Prioritize what matters to you. Yeah, yeah. Prioritize what matters to you.
1: Thanks for listening to Work Throughout the podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts as it allows other entrepreneurial women like yourselves to find the show. Speak soon. Hold
0: up.